Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Come on. Good morning. So good to be here, and just we're going into week seven now of our Rediscover Church series, and I want to just give you a little warning. The next two weeks, if you're reading along in the book, and I hope you are, it's, uh, you flip chapters eight and nine. We're going to do chapter nine next week, and then do chapter eight the following week to close things out, so note that. I also get to uh, introduce new members today. We have uh, Victor and Christina Logmau and their daughter, Clea. And we like them to stand, and we like to introduce them as new members. So there they are right there. Thank you, guys. So, so glad to have you with us and, uh, and to be a part of our church family. What a blessing it is to be gathered today, to be shaped by worship and the Word of God. How great it is to have this time of fellowship and community together. Like Colossians 3 says, as God's dearly loved people, here we are together, members of one body, Letting the word of Christ dwell in us as we teach one another, as we sing these songs and these hymns, these spiritual songs with gratitude in our hearts, giving thanks to God. That's what we're doing. What a blessing it is to do these things together today. You know, doing the things of church is so much more than just receiving information. Okay? I mean, if we want to pump you full of information, we can send you a bunch of emails, but you won't read half the emails. So... Maybe better yet, you should just read your Bible. There's really good information in there, and I hope you do. But guess what? God, when we come together like this, in a Bible class, in a connection group, uh, in worship together, God is calling us to more than information. He's calling us to have more than a great concert with a TED Talk, right? He is calling us to be the gathered body of Christ, to be a place of transformation, of radical love and community, of worship, and to be formed into Christ-likeness. This is formational for us, and it equips us for his mission. So when we gather, his spirit is working among us, and his spirit wants to do amazing things. And when I talk about doing amazing things, I'm not just talking about those amazing spiritual moments where something really amazing happens. That, that happens. But I'm also talking about the real magic of gathering together consistently in a regular, consistent way, coming together as a fellowship of difference. And there are differences among this gathering of people different people that we are. And unity, not uniformity, the unity amidst our diversity is a beautiful thing here. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. So here we are. Everything's good. Everything's fine. Everybody's unified. It's the perfect church, right? Yeah, I love the thing Ronnie says sometimes. Uh, he talks about this and he says, you know, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. Because true Christian community can be messy and uncomfortable and even difficult at times, right? So here's something really true. People will let you down. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. It's shocking. Even here in this church, even people sitting right next to you, maybe even someone you will go home with and you live with, will let you down. They'll disappoint you. They'll hurt you. They'll fail you. They'll frustrate you. Let me tell you something. Your ministers on church staff here, sometimes they say, you know, this church ministry job would be so much easier if it weren't for all these people. Now, I would never say such a thing. I would not say that. Now, some of these guys, they're saying it all the time. Uh, it, you know, Missy started working here as a, the women's minister. It only took her a couple months before. She was saying it every day. So and that's not true. That's not true. She would never say that. Okay. So people will let you down. But here's the thing. You need people. We need these imperfect, frustrating, hurtful, weird, and wonderful people in our lives. 
You may have heard of the study at Harvard uh, of Harvard, stu Harvard students that began in 1938. And for over 80 years, they followed the lives of these men, okay? Hundreds of men. They collected decades of data on their physical and mental health. In fact, over the years, they expanded the study to also include their wives and their offspring and even hundreds of additional people through the decades. And the study shows that the quality of our close relationships are better indication of ongoing happiness and even health, even than money or accomplishments. This decades-long study reveals that healthy relationships are better predictors of a long, healthy, and happy life than even social class, IQ, or even your genes. The uh, director, the current director of the program says, this surprising finding is that our relationships and how happy we are in our relationships have a powerful, powerful influence on even our physical health. He says, taking care of your body is important, but tending to your relationships is important too. So you need people for emotional, spiritual, even physical well-being. But here's what's also true. People need you. We need you. We need you here. You know? Uh, we need one another. And of course, we know this in the church. We know that we're created for community. Just look at these one another's in scripture. You know, here's just a few. Accept one another. Be at peace with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive and bear with one another. Serve and submit to one another. Honor one another. Bear one another's burdens. Speak truth. Pray for one another. Encourage and build one, one another up. Love one another. And these are just a few. So what if the church could be known as a place where rather than othering each other, we are one anothering. A fellowship of difference who practice this kind of radical, countercultural one anothering that the world doesn't know about but that it desperately needs. Remember Jesus' words in John 13. He said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And recall the words of Paul in Galatians 3. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves into Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are one in Christ, unified in him. God calls us to love one another like he loves us, okay? We're meant to learn from him what it means to love, what love looks like in action, even when it's difficult or uncomfortable for us. So today we're talking about how this kind of Jesus community is meant to be a safe and welcome place for all of us, even when we're not okay, even in our differences, even when we hurt one another. We are to be, in fact, as one writer put it, a fellowship of difference. I mean, the Bible wasn't kidding when it called the church a gathering of peculiar people. This church is no exception. As I look out here, I see a church full of weird <laughs> people. Wrong people, wounded people, weak people, wrecked people. I mean, look out here and just see some of these weirdos out here. I mean, some of you guys are really strange. I mean, I'm not going to say Gordon... Johnny, I mean, there's just some strange people in this place. And those are just the leaders, you know, that we've got sometimes. Uh, you know, who am I to talk? Some people think I'm weird. <laughs> Can you imagine that? That's kind of, that's, that's funny. After first service, about six or seven people said to me in the hallway, they're like, okay, new greeting, what's up, weirdo? 
And I'm like, I'm with that, but not, don't just say it to me, not just for me. Oh, yeah, that could be, maybe we could get that trending. What's up, weirdo? I don't know. But we all struggle. We're sinners. We're strange. And that's kind of my first point today. Church is a place for weird people like you and me. You know, the local congregation is where Jesus teaches us how to love all kinds of people. People like us and people who are different. People that we really like and people that, eh, you know. <laughs> and here in the local church, we get to be in community with people who make us uncomfortable even. And that's a great blessing because this, this church time is our relationship school. And another thing, the world notices when the church brings together people who don't normally associate. That's one of the things that made the early church so strange. And then they turned the world upside down because of the way their relationships work. And people thought, you, you people aren't, you're supposed to be fighting. You're not supposed to be unified. Because Jesus brings weird people like you and me. And he invites us into his life and he invites us into his mission. He did it back then, bringing together slaves and free, poor and rich, Jews and Gentiles. He still wants to create that same kind of community. Those of us who have submitted our identity and our allegiance to Christ, and we're united in him. So the church is God's world-changing community that brings together unlikes and difference and weirdos like me to sit at the table together and do life together as a new kind of family. And it's God's show and tell for the world to see how God wants to do family. The difference get connected, the unlikes form a fellowship, the segregated are integrated in Christ, and all you weirdos become one in Jesus. It's actually quite beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. And of course, all this love and unity is a great idea until you're called to love someone that's really very much unlike you. Some people call that marriage. <laughs> you know, you, you, that first, you what? <laughs> but you know what, love is great to actually see who's attending your church and who's joined your small group, right? And then you're like, okay, I have to get to, I, get, I gotta get to used to this person who's really different from me. And we might be tempted to think, okay, maybe I'll go looking for another church. Maybe I'll look for another group. But I want you to think about Jesus's motley crew of very different disciples. And the most extreme case is probably the tax collector and the zealot, a traitor and a terrorist. Matthew, the tax collector, worked for the enemy. He worked for Rome, taking money for them, the oppressors, and so he was seen as a traitor. Simon the zealot was likely sworn to overthrow the Roman rule of Israel. Jesus calls these two together, a traitor and a terrorist, and, he, and they follow him, and they spend three years hanging out with Jesus together. But that was really interesting. <laughs> and if they can be on such polar opposite sides of the political and cultural divide of their day, here in the church, could it be that perhaps... Can dog lovers and cat people fellowship together? Can Aggies and Longhorns be united in Christ? Oh, if that didn't get you this will, can Astros fans and Yankees fans be in fellowship together? Maybe. Can millennials and baby boomers get along? Can even Democrats and Republicans be united in Christ and take the bread and the cup together? Guess what? You just did. Or can we at least be kind to one another on social media? Wouldn't that shock the world? Wouldn't that be a countercultural witness for our times? In Christ, we receive salvation and eternal life, but we also get a new family and the gift of unified diversity. Not uniformity, but beautiful, real diversity that is drawn to a common center point, the gravitational pull of Jesus Christ. We get to hang out with Jesus together. 
And guess what that does among so many other things? Divisions will dissipate and we can be united by something much greater than that which divides us. Listen to Ephesians 2, 13 to 14, and then later in verses 19 to 22, Paul says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. What you need to understand is Paul is not only talking in context here of our division from God by our sin. He's actually also talking about the Jews and the Gentiles coming together and says, those who you are far from each other have now been brought near and the dividing wall has come down in Christ. Consequently, verse 19, he says, oh, sorry, verse 14, he, he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the, defi- the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 19, consequently, you who are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together, rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So later in chapter four, what we read earlier, Paul continues, be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Church, you are called to be united in Christ, unified with even the weird ones like me. So you have to deal with it. Secondly, church is a place for wrong people like you and me. Have you ever been wrong? Have you ever been wrong? Yeah? Have you ever had a hard time admitting you were wrong? Don't look at your spouse. Don't look at your spouse. Don't look at your spouse. Okay? Deal with that later. In life, sometimes you really wish you could throw out the challenge flag, right? Let's just throw out the challenge flag to review the play, assess the penalty, right? Especially in marriage and those close family relationships, we wish we could go to the tape because someone's wronged us, right? Or do we want to go to the tape? Let's watch this short commercial and uh, you'll see what I mean. Hey, sweetie, I'm I'm not not seeing seeing the the life jackets. Well, you said you packed them. No, you packed them. No, you packed them. You said I won't forget to pack the life jackets. I'm sorry, I have to challenge challenge that. that. Well, you do have one left, so. This What Really Happened replay is brought to you by Progressive. One thing no one would challenge, protecting your home and auto with Progressive. You know, my favorite part was when you said, obviously, I won't forget to bring the life jacket. Did you fill out some pretzels? Yeah, I did, but I thought you said you were done with them. I never said I was done with the pretzels. Yeah, you watch that. You think you want the challenge flag, but you may not. So the thing of the church being the safe place to, ad- to where we can admit, and in our relationships, a safe place to admit our faults and our wrongs, it, to being wrong, it cuts both ways. I mean, first we have to be so humble, we have to be so aware of our own need for grace and forgiveness. We all are dependent on the grace of God. But also, secondly, we have, we're then called to offer forgiveness and grace to others when they have wronged us. So it's easy enough to say, but this is really hard stuff. And the application point here. It's really simple to say, but difficult to do, but I need to ask you, is there anyone you need to forgive today? It could be a small thing, an irritation you need to just correct, or you know, just to, just to kind of uh, smooth the waters and, and go back into a good relationship. It could be a big thing that takes some time and some work. Or is there someone you need to go to and ask forgiveness for how you've wronged them? Do you need to go first? 
The gift of grace is a beautiful and powerful thing. And it's a powerful witness to the world. It's something truly unique about Christianity. We have good news. Grace is freely given to each of us, and it must be freely shared among us. Could this church be a safe place for forbearance and patience towards one another, even when we're wrong, even when we disagree, even when we hurt one another, especially when we hurt one another? And what about when I am in the wrong? When I've sinned in my heart, is is my heart still soft enough to bleed? (laughs) Am I receptive and open to confession and repentance? I want you to think for a minute about those two criminals that were crucified on either side of Jesus, okay? Remember the conversation they had. Remember the one who said, we're being punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. After the other guy kind of mocked Jesus, he goes, we're getting what we deserve. Then he asked Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He had a soft, repentant heart. Remember what Jesus told him next in Luke 23? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, there's this great preacher story that kind of imagines. Imagine that criminal gets up to the gates of heaven. And he gets up there and there's Moses, you know, uh, Peter, Abraham, whoever's at the gate that day. And, and, and they say, wait a minute. How, how, why are you, how did you get here? And the guy says, I don't know, but can you go talk to, you know, one of the, you know, the big guns, maybe Michael or Gabriel or one of, the, one of the top guys. And so sure enough, you know, the archangel Michael comes and, and he comes up to the gate and even he says to the guy, how did you get here? And the criminal says, well, the guy on the middle cross said I could come. And that's you and that's me. Jesus offers us the greatest gift of all time. We don't get what we deserve. We get grace. We get better than what we deserve. We get mercy and forgiveness because the guy on the middle cross gives it to us freely. Like it says in Ephesians 2, 1 to 5, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That was us. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. If you have not put your faith and your trust in Jesus been baptized and accepted his gift of new life and eternal life, here's the great news. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, Jesus is ready to forgive you, to heal you, to make you new, to give you the gift of eternal life. I hope you'll come talk to me in the lobby if you want to know more or if you want to uh, kind of talk about what, what would the next step be for you. Or feel free to talk to one of our shepherding elder couples when you come up to pray today at the end of this message. They would love to talk with you or to pray with you. Okay, we we are here for you. So if you won't admit that you're weird or wrong sometimes, I've got one final group for your consideration today. And that is that church is a place for wounded people like you and me. If you're wounded and wrestling and weary or wrecked, hear me clearly, you belong here. You are welcome here. Now, I know there's people in this room right now who are weary and wounded. You're struggling. And we may not always be able to resolve the issue or the problem. And, and these kind of difficult situations, are, you know, there's often not a, a quick fix or an easy answer. But Christian community is meant to be a safe place for you to share your hurts and your wounds and your struggles and even your weaknesses. 
we're surely not perfect at it, but that's our heart, that's our desire, that's our calling to be a safe place where you can heal and you can have someone walk with you, okay? That's why we have connection groups, student ministries, all kinds of other ministries to create a place to be known, to know one another and to care for one another. That's why we have prayer time each Sunday. And if you ever need to pray or visit with one of our shepherding elders, again, please, they would love to meet with you. And that's why we have Celebrate Recovery on Friday nights from 6 to 9 p.m., okay? It's, over, it's in the education building upstairs and to the right. It's been really neat to see over the years how our Celebrate Recovery family is a place of acceptance and care and healing and growth. Because when you come to Celebrate Recovery, you come admitting, I'm weak, I'm weary, I'm wounded, I'm wrecked. I need help. I want to grow. And you know what? We all need that. Don't kid yourself. We all need a safe place like that where we can love each other as we are, but we're also willing to help each other grow and heal. So I've talked about the gift of unity and, and the unified diversity that's there for all of us weird ones here at church. Thank the Lord for that. I've talked about the gift of grace for all of us wrong ones who've sinned and rebelled against the Lord. But what is the gift that God gives us through the church when we're weak and wounded? It may surprise you. It's the gift of vulnerability. Vulnerability and risk. I love what C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Four Loves. He says, there is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, lifeless, you could say, it will change. Your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, the alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers of love is hell. So the question for you today, my friends, is this. Will you be self-protecting and risk-free and impenetrable? Or will you choose to be vulnerable and open to give and receive love? The weird, the wrong, the weak, the weary, the wrecked, the wounded, all are invited to Jesus' table. All are welcome here. The strange ones, the sinful ones, the struggling ones, you are especially welcome here. If you're okay today, and all is well, and if you're not okay, there's a place for you here. As I close today, I'm going to suggest very quickly four things, church, that, that you can do to help this, this church grow as a fellowship of difference, okay? First, you can prioritize people. Prioritize people over busyness, over hurry sickness, over the distractions of technology and the infotainment industrial complex that seeks to shape our lives and influence us more and more. Prioritize people and being with people. Don't let the algorithms have so much sway. Don't let the robots win, okay? Prioritize people. Second, you can linger longer in conversations and intentional relationship building times. Here at church, yes, people, I'm saying we encourage Hall Church 
hall class here at First Colony Church of Christ. Have at it. Go talk. Linger. Visit. Go out to lunch together. But you can have great conversations here, but also you can have great conversations in our Bible classes, at Friends Speak, uh, at the, in, in our men, women's groups and men's groups. There's so many places you can invest in relationships here. So linger longer. Third, you can practice hospitality and invite folks over for a meal. This was really one of the most foundational and formational practices of the early church. It's how they did their fellowship and their church. Invite your friends, but also reach out to people you don't know and people that maybe are different from you. Practice hospitality. And fourth, let grace soften your heart. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, so that, not by works, so that no one can boast. Let's allow Jesus to kill off our prejudices, our selfishness, and the hyper-individualism that has been so drilled into us in our culture. Let us not be divisive or filled with the fearful, angry spirit of the age. Resist the pull of otherings and lean into one anothering. Let's share the grace that we've been given. Now here at church, we talk about community all the time because it's so massively vital. Jesus is forming us into a new community, just like he's forming us into new people. So as we grow in Christ-likeness, let us also grow as the body of Christ, a unified fellowship of difference. I want to call our shepherding elders to come up and be ready to pray with us in just a moment as I wind down here. I want to, I want to read Ephesians 4, 12 to 16. You guys come, come on and be making your way and we'll have our prayer time. God says that he wants to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Church, notice what God wants to do here. Build the body of Christ up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Take note of this, church. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen? That's, the, that's what the Lord wants to do here. And he will use all of us weird and wonderful and wrong and wounded people to do it. So yeah, we need you. And you need us. We need one another in this fellowship of difference.